Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Autocar Business Editor's Briefing. I'm Felix Page, I'm Autocar's News Editor. Joining me today are Editor-in-Chief Steve Cropley, Editor Mark Tishaw and Business Correspondent Nick Gibbs. And we've got a lot to catch up on today. There's been a lot going on in the automotive media and in the industry in general. Nick, I want to come to you first because in the last week or so, uh, we ran a piece uh, discussing how Jaguar can rebuild from a position of what Jerry McGovern calls no brand equity. And then 24 hours later, we we had our answer, didn't we? It was a, a two billion pound plus investment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's get the quote right. It was no brand equity whatsoever. Whatsoever. <laughs> Just minted words. Yeah, uh, Jerry McGovern uh, being typically blunt. Um, but uh, yeah, he's right in one sense. You know, it, 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 Jaguar, as, it, as the British BMW, it has now effectively died and now they're looking forward uh, to jaguar as the narrow range ultra luxury uh contender um and and it seems like that uh, jaguar land rover or jlr as, as we now should call them have uh, put the money behind that to um to, to give it to the head start it needs. I mean, it, and it needs a lot of money. I mean, they're developing a new platform, the GEA, Jaguar Electric Architecture. And um, they also um, bringing three models of this, um, costing from 100,000. So, you know, they've, they've got a lot of money to put into it. But uh, as we said, though, this is their investment is only 15% of uh, all future JLR investments. So the, the four pillars, uh, which are Jaguar, obviously, um, Range Rover, Defender, and Discovery. Uh, so Jaguar only gets fifteen percent. So it's not a sort of straight uh, quarter, quarter, quarter split. Do you think? Uh, do you think that's the money it needs, or do you think that investment sort of doesn't really tally with the uh, the ambitions for that brand? It's hard to say. I mean, the, the, uh, a new, dedicated standalone architecture. A lot of money, and you wonder, you know, where the where they're getting that from. You know, whether that this is bits of other platform or whether this really is brand new. Um, so, I mean, they obviously know what they're doing, and uh, and you know, when you say two billion, it sounds like a lot of money, and it is. So maybe they have, maybe they've got it. Uh, they've got all the uh, financial ducks lined up. It's interesting. It feels like a it feels like a very long time since we first heard about the reimagine plan, and indeed we're on to a new CEO now. Thierry Bellore swapped for Adrian Mardell in the last nine months or so. But Steve, the the desire to see Jaguar reinvented, you were saying, goes back much further. There was a desire to to get on with it. I think you were saying. Yeah, well, it does. Um, the the uh, uh, well, I think it. Everybody knew that there was. Going to have to be some sort of a, a, a reinvention when we when we saw how poorly I suppose the, the the lower end products were doing. But one of the things that scares me is um, well, two things scare me. One is that they used to say that two billion quid was what it took to just build a new Vauxhall Cavalier. Um, so I do wonder if it, if if that's enough. And also um, uh, they uh, there was also this concern about. Uh, you know, too much model proliferation and so on. But the, the thing that scares me most is is that the cars they're going to be building are out of the realm of any previous Jaguar owner. So what what they're in effect doing is starting by trying to attract a completely new cohort, which is a hell of a thing to do with 
new platform, new design, new propulsion, um, you know, new management, even new designers. It's, it's a, I think the scale of, of that's going to be required is, or that is being required is amazing. They sound confident though, don't they? They sound confident. Yeah, and, and, and actually to add to that point, um, it was something that uh, Adrian Mardell said in the investor call was quite interesting was that he was saying that, you know, we want to re sort of go back to um, the late 90s, particularly in the US, where Ford had, you know, sort of started turning around the company and, uh, and, they, and they had just two models. They had the XJ and the, uh, and the XK and um, they were selling for about sort of 60, um, 50, 60,000 bucks. And, and if you actually adjust that for um, inflation, it's around about 100,000 bucks. So it's not far off what they want to pitch this new model at. So he was saying, you know, let's go back to those days when we were selling to, you know, moneyed customers. And so you put it like that, it doesn't sound too far-fetched. Well, they, but they weren't profitable, were they, in those days? Well, he was saying, and, and actually Mardell was in the company at that point. You know, he started yeah. in 1990. He was saying that actually they were, you know, buried. He's actually said, you know, buried within the um, the Ford data at the time, uh, you know, implying that it was never really came to light. But they were in the U.S. They were they were making good money. Um, so I think, you know, but then Ford went on to cheapen the brand, you know, by going down market with the S class and then the X class. Um, but you know, at that point, you know, sort of around about 1998, they were doing pretty well. Yeah, there was a the, the concern was always about volume in those days, wasn't it? That's what made them go down market. They the big numbers were, uh, were were always the answer to everything, weren't they? And now we, we've moved into a completely different realm where everybody that you speak to says, "Well, of course we're not chasing volume." You must have heard yeah, that twenty-seven it. times. Value over volume. Yeah, that's it. The US. Um, is interesting as a market because those involved in the project have spoken several times that, that the US and, the, and China, excuse me, are, are the targets here in the styling and the shock factor. And it was interesting in the results that, that JLR, the positive financial results they put out um, a couple of weeks ago, it was said in there, it was highlighted at the same time, Jaguar's recent success amongst owner satisfaction in, in JD Power. Um, but again, those, the current cars are pitched at a very different level of customer. And just coming back to the, the the investment point um something else that came up in that investor call was uh jaguar why is it going alone with a with a um on an architecture and not partnering very very few companies even audi have partnered with a chinese manufacturer in developing an electric architecture now due to the the, the massive costs involved and mardell was was talking well we've got access to the tata group but but enlisting off the likes of tata consulting it's hard to to know what 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 they can do to to build the volume of this thing to make it a financial success but yeah it seems that the us is is definitely a key market where they're looking at but as ever a lot to do a lot of questions to be answered do you, do you get the sense mark that they're they are so committed to building their own architecture and i, I should just say it, it's, it's quite unclear how different jea will be from ema or mla the platforms that land rover is using but do you think part of the desire for a bespoke architecture comes from uh, a desire to tell the customers they've got something that was born luxury. Yeah, I'd say so. It's uh, the copy of nothing is the phrase they they keep coming back to, and um, 
you know, if you build your brand, and authenticity is another word that they use in design terms, but it, it's going to underpin the whole future of the company. So to, to if you want to trade off copy of nothing and authenticity to then say, well, hang on, it's a it's a £40,000 discovery sport underneath at the same time, that can be a little hard to do. Whether the customer ultimately really cares or not, I, I do doubt. Um, funny enough, I spent a bit of time with Genesis recently and, and some some owners and customers and you know, pitching a slightly different part of the market, more the sort of premium end, but they just don't care that uh, the sort of key and high end relationship and, you know, with the same button on the bottom of a boot lid, it's, um, you know, you spend the money on the bits that people people can see where the value has gone, you know, whether it shares the same wiring loom or wheelbase dimension with another model, who really probably cares as a customer, but it, it's all it's going to do is sort of add cost and add complexity, which is, um, which is why it's, it's, it's a brave decision, I think. It's far, it's too early to judge, but I think it, it's brave. But somewhere between brave and surprising, I think, is the word in, in going it alone on an architecture. It's, it's proportions, though, they talked about, wasn't it? They that I think McGovern's already said, you know, that his, his justification for doing so much on their own bat, or off their own bat, is because they want the proportions to be extraordinary. They just want this car to be, um, you know, like nothing else. I, I, I'm getting sick of a copy of nothing already. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe even Sir William Lyons said it too many times, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think you're quite right, Steve. But a lot of this I think, is driven by Jerry and his desire to get this to, to be um, a design-led success. You know, they talk about the, you know, the shock of what must have been a huge shock for everybody when they first saw the e-type and uh, they want to get back to that yeah good luck it's interesting, <laughs> isn't it a, a couple of years ago when we first heard about these plans the the prospect of a jaguar lineup starting at hundred thousand pounds was was shocking but uh in this day and age now just two years later that's you know you can be in an audi e-tron suv for that it's not quite as much as it as it seemed back then so you have to wonder if they're almost being helped in their cause by these inflationary pressures nick Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, hundred grand uh, is sort of <laughs> yeah. It's I mean, it's always going to be a lot of money, but um, our our sense of what expensive in the car world these days has been recalibrated, hasn't it, by both electric and uh, and all the other inflationary pressures. So uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, if you look, if you crunch the numbers, there, you know, depending on you know, based on the their revenue plans you know they want to make sort of what was that, 300 what was it, 300 million a month something like that anyway if, if you if you do the sums on that at about an average hundred thousand pounds then it turns out you know that they're, they're only selling you know 24,000 a year roughly so you these are you know they're not aiming at everybody quite the opposite actually this is quite a select group you know that's only ten thousand above bentley so you know it doesn't have to appeal to everyone which is what kind of what jerry mcgovern's point is well yeah but haven't they said that you know they keep pointing to the success of range rover and you know range rover can be pretty you know premium costing you know the top models costing well over 100 but they also talk about Range Rover volumes, and they're in the fifty. You know, they're, they're, so they. I think they're they're trying to have their cake and eat, eat it. I, I, I mean, it'd be amazing to pull it off again. But Range Rover seems to me to be 
a phenomenon, and I don't know whether you can just sort of gesture hypnotically and make it happen again. <laughs> well, I am. Um, the confidence of uh, Jerry McGovern and uh, his confidence is uh, unparalleled in this uh, industry. Uh, I su suggest it would. I mean, he's had some phenomenal success, success with Range Rover over the years in particular. So uh, who knows? Yeah. On the, uh, on the subject of, of confidence, uh, I wonder if uh, we might broaden this discussion out a little bit. Uh, it still includes JLR, of course. Uh, and that's the news that UK car production seems to be uh, quite resoundingly bouncing back following three years of, of pretty dire output. Um, consumer confidence has taken a knock, but appears to be on the mend. Uh, Nick, what, what do you attribute the, the spike to? We, uh, in the first half of the year, we built 450,000 cars, which is quite significantly up on, uh, on 2021 and 2022. Yeah, I mean, it's a, I think you have to say that mainly it's Nissan have got their act together again. You know, they, they went through a trough where models weren't coming through at the pace that they were promised but now i mean i, I would say probably 25 percent of that is uh cash kai so you know they've got it together up there in sunderland and uh, uh with duke as a sort of uh, as a, as a backup model and um so you know they're, they're leading the charge and then obviously you've got jlr um you know they they had a, they had problems initially with range rover and range rover support ramping those up but then they're now fully up to speed uh mini does well and also corolla a toyota corolla out of uh, berniston i mean that is a, a, a extremely solid selling car with hybrids the you know sort of the powertrain that everybody wants at the moment so you, you know I, the only worry is and it's quite a big worry it's quite concentrated and very few models so while it's good we're still probably uh, those figures we're not going to go over a million you know just four or five years ago we were at uh, 1.6 so you know it, it's, it's promising but uh, we need to do better the uh, the message i got from uh, i spent some time with with mike hawes chief executive of the smmt recently and the message from his side seems to be don't get complacent we face a uh, huge array of obstacles in the coming years, the, the ZEV mandate, uh, trading uh, obstacles with the EU, and then there's the combustion ban in, in 2030. Mark, you touched on this recently. You, you, you wrote a piece. Uh, uh, let's do it. Can I just point out, it's not a combustion ban in 2030. It's a combustion ban in 2035. There is a period of five years where we can still build hybrids of some nature. We don't know what yet. This is the debate that rages on Twitter, isn't it? But um, it, it's, <laughs> I've, got, I've got to be truthful about it. Yes, yeah, yeah. It, um, it all ties into to a piece you wrote, Mark. Um, the, the, the debate over 2030 uh, and what will be allowed to happen uh, after that point is is adding confusion to chaos. Mm, that, yeah, Carlos Tavares's words uh, a couple of months ago. It's a, a very apt quote. It's just all over the place the legislation, and it's it's just must be quite hard you know it's hard for us sometimes to keep up with which way is the wind blowing but fundamentally what does this do to consumer confidence when you, you think about oh should i should i be buying an ev and you mentioned social media that's a it's a toxic place at the best of times and uh just how polar the views are for and against you, you're not really seeing the middle ground and yeah it must be hurting people in their in their decision making but i yeah, this is going to be an election issue. I think it's quite clear now. I think given the um, the, the, the by-election win uh, Conservatives in, in London recently that was sort of blamed on uh, ULES and Labour's stance on ULES and all that, I think it's probably conflating two issues a bit. Um, 
I feel there is the government and Rishi Sunak have latched onto something that it feels that this is a, a policy, the sort of ending the war on motorists kind of thing that they can they can come back on. But I think when it comes to to, to the ban inverted commas twenty thirty slash thirty five, the key thing is this hybrid concession, and that has remained an unknown. Um, ever since the legislation was announced around the combustion uh, end of end of sale of combustion cars and the phrase has always been something like it's hybrids of a meaningful range and that has never been defined and therefore toyota who are a big hybrid producer have never committed to what or, or, or stayed silent really on what their plans are long term and I, I know that toyota has a has a facility set up in, in king's cross right opposite the new or under construction google building that that sits there analyzing data from Priuses and taxis just to prove that even with those tiny little batteries that they're still doing 40, 45% of their running on electric power only. So I wonder whether the the cake and eat it scenario for the for the government is they can claim, yep, we're keeping we're keeping combustion cars on sale by extending this this hybrid exemption to include anything without a plug in it. Um, you can the devil's going to be in the detail in all of this, but I, I, I wonder whether the concession lies in there somewhere. Yeah, I've got. I've I actually just uh, bought a new uh, Corolla hybrids, and uh, it, 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 the, the, the readout makes a big display. It's a big, it's a big thing about uh, how many of your previous miles were actually on EVs, uh, EV miles, and uh, you know it's it's surprisingly high, sort of like 30, 40 percent on a on an aero journey. But of course, it includes coasting, so you know it's sort of like it's a bit saying like it's like saying a horse can fly around half a racetrack because you know at some point it's all its legs are off the ground. But I, you know, it's still a pretty good. It, 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 it's a fair point, you need to, and uh, and I'm seeing better mileage, so it's uh, you know I think it's uh, it's uh, but they, 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 yeah, so as you say, Mark, it, it needs to be defined and soon. But I, yeah. I get the feeling that that. In a way, we are moving towards clarity in some way. I mean, Sunak, don't forget, came out just the other day and said, we are not going to shift the 2030 ICE ban. We're just not doing it. And that seemed to me to be a surprising piece of clarity. And the thing that also surprised me was that it, it, my take was that the OEMs weren't as desperate to get him to change his mind as they were to just understand for sure what the rules were going to be so i think he i think what he said was a little bit of clarity but now what we need somebody to do is to tell us what a hybrid what a what a hybrid really is that's the next uh, hurdle to me yeah. they're not going to pivot now anyway the industrial strategies are set i mean whether they if they reverse that ban tomorrow the ford fiesta is not going to be put back on the no. line so it, the ship has sailed and I mean, Mardell was just on this this same call last week. Was obviously asked about this being topical, and you know, although it's it, it's probably not one at the affordability end for, for JLR to worry about, but he said no. Whatever they say and do now, our plans are our plans, and that that will be true across the board. It's just like Steve says, we're we're, we're homing in on it. Um, my issue comes around the consumer confidence side, but then I, I yeah, I just wonder what that concession will be, and that's the sort of the remaining million dollar question. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, the, the government's trying to have it both ways at the moment. They're trying to stoke up this sort of culture war thing about, uh, you know, ending net zero and, uh, and 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 cars obviously come into that. But uh, they've also set this path um, that they have this great control over. Um, and I, I, I'm I'm a bit worried that 
they won't clarify anything because that will show that they're actually on you know actually working towards reducing our carbon footprint which you know is the right thing to do um so i, I i'm slightly wondering whether this is going to drag into 2024 although they do have to uh, they do have to clarify the, the zev mandate uh, which is coming in next year yeah, there's lots of concern about a, a Christmas Eve declaration about the ZEV mandate uh, because a lot, a lot of manufacturers uh, seem well placed to meet the requirement, which is, am I right in saying, Nick, 22% EV from 1st of January? Yeah, that's right. Um, it's and yeah, and as you say, you, you know, sort of everybody has their has their, well, most people have their ducks lined up. Uh, they can switch production over. They've got the models. Um, but yeah, I'm sure there. You know, you even if you have the models, you need a certain amount of um, uh, of um, warning before you actually, you know, press go on having 22% rather than 18 or 12 or whatever it is. You've got to make think, people. You've got, just got to make people want them. That that seems to me to be the big issue. That the. the uh, and that that's either incentives or amazing advertising or fantastic uh, uh, communication skills there's it, it's all very well to have the sort of industrial uh, setup but you but you know, the, the the trick to me is to is, is to make people want these cars yeah i mean they can definitely do more on pricing obviously the government can help there but uh, the pricing of cars i think uh, we spoke about this felix but uh, i mean that to uh, the, the um, the sort of electric HRV that uh, sorry Honda has just uh, launched costs from forty five thousand in the UK. You know, I mean that same car in China costs uh, from twenty two thousand. I mean, obviously it's a bit more expensive to ship it over and uh, you know, fit it up for legislation. But I don't quite understand uh, electric costs sometimes. No. Well, it's quite a pertinent example that particular car because you can have effectively that same car with a hybridized engine um and therefore the confidence to do as many miles as you like uh, for about ten thousand pounds less uh, i think at the moment in the form of the hrv um but th i think that's a big part of where this consumer confidence uh, concern arises from isn't it that the cost of these cars as we head towards 2030 especially in an environment where petrol electricity diesel they're all costing more by the day yeah absolutely and ev you think to the a large amount of the population, their interaction with motoring in cars, they might never get past the headline when they're on a you know, the BBC homepage or whatever, or their, their social media, and mud's going to stick around that. And it's 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 a far far more nuanced um, area, and you know, built around residual values and potential incentives and cost of ownership, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. It's a big big explaining job to do. And it, it, it's hard to keep up with. I've got a you know a lot of friends obviously know what I do and 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 all ask and um, you know you can almost tell what story they've been influenced by that week. You know what by what headline by you know what car they've seen or has been launched etc. But it costs how much kind of thing. So it's yeah it, it's hard. It's really really hard to 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 get the cut through. And that's part of our job as well. We're obviously our consumer brands doing a lot lot of stuff around that. We're having, you know good success online with quite a lot of our kind of more how who why what stories around electric cars and they're getting really really good amounts of traffic but it's an education job that needs a strategy and a clear messaging from the very top and the minute there's a potential to win some votes it seems that the uh 
you know that messaging gets thrown up in the air and whether whether nothing ends up changing you know the policy stays as it is it's caused you know anxiety and and a lot of chaos and confusion again for, for a couple of weeks in people's minds amazing to me that they that they um, um announced uh, so readily that uh, evs would be subject to road tax uh, fairly soon uh, that seemed to me to be a a, a pretty set, great way of sort of torpedoing the demand yeah and the big fuel duty question remains unknown we were discussing earlier this week just looking around that the, the that black hole for the government to fill there's, there's so many there's so many unknowns around what is potentially legislated for the car you kind of have to buy in just a few years time yet there's we're, we're no closer what are we in 2023 so seven years ago so class that back is 2016 and uh if you go back seven years and you know you, you kind of want to know that's a, that's a cycle of a new car um on sale so there's there's cars being launched now that will remain on sale in that in that buying cycle but it, it's just yeah. it's confusing i think maybe some of the the improvement in sales that we were talking about comes from the simple fact that a lot of people need a new car you know there are loads of high mileage drivers in this country there are there are loads of business drivers and and what they had was wearing out and and uh it it's you know the, the people who who watched the market on the floor um always said there'll be a moment when when cars just have to be replaced and i think this might be part of it you have to wonder whether initiatives like the the london eulers and and other clean air zones around the uk might accelerate that shift uh force more people into new cars than otherwise might have organically chosen to make the switch i know sadiq khan says nine out of ten cars in london are currently compliant with um with ULES restrictions but you know my neighbor's got a 1998 bmw 3 series which he loves very much and he's a bit concerned that he has to sell it so he will be in the market for a new car and how much will he pay for that compared to his 30 year old bmw it's a uh, prevailing uncertainty i think yeah but the um but it wouldn't really do for us to to have this chat without talking about one bit of good news and perhaps a source of some certainty and that's the news that uh jlr's parent company tata is going to build a battery factory in the uk nick is that the silver bullet well i mean it's it's fantastic news isn't it i mean and, and also you know great to have a, a, a positive ev story um amongst the negativity because you know that's that, nothing says this is the future and plonking uh, a massive great battery factory in uh, perhaps not the heart of england but uh, at, at least in 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 the country and new investment is it three billion was it uh, of which the government seems to be poning up about um half of half a billion of that um the exact figure hasn't actually been announced but uh, i mean it's 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 fantastic news isn't it i mean it's, it's, it's the the plants coming the uh the technology uh there's still a bit of a question mark over where the technology is coming from in terms of uh, where tata is getting it from but uh good news anyway the uh the exact location you said not exactly in the heart of uh the uk i think referring to the somerset site that that's been quite widely reported i don't they've not actually officially confirmed that have they which seems funny because i think we all seem to know that that's where it's going to be but um I think you you were saying it doesn't just benefit JLR, which is the obvious beneficiary of this. 
um, but it stands all UK manufacturers in quite good stead. Yeah, I mean, the, the, they hope to sell to other you know, UK manufacturers. Obviously, the um, JLR is the anchor customer, as they call it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, and also it triggers uh, a, a supply chain um, investment as well, because you know, if you want to be, if if, if you want to supply into it, uh, you, and you manage to be local, then you will be given preference. I mean, I, hopefully the UK will do something similar to the uh, the EU on this, and you know, sort of have, employ a bit of protectionism by um, by giving preference in terms of I don't know carbon credits or something to those who can show that they they source uh, refined materials. Uh, or even unrefined materials, if we're going to go lithium out of Cornwall, quite handy for some of um, you know, and go for those above ones that have been imported from countries where the refine, refining process, um, you, know, you know, takes up a lot more CO two, for example, China. Yeah. What, what do you What do you think was the deciding factor in in selecting the UK? I know we've been talking about it what feels like years, uh, but it was always so. You know, the discussion was what can we offer any prospective battery manufacturer what do you think eventually persuaded them uh, well, it, it, I, uh large amounts of money well i would have done it for that. I mean, but, you know that's the price to play at the moment isn't it i mean you, you, you're going up against countries who are also getting out their checkbooks or whatever the modern equivalent is and you have to match otherwise you're out the game but there'd be a transportation thing wouldn't there the, you know the this country has, is quite a hard place to bring batteries to from Poland or wherever they I think the I-Pace battery is made in Poland. Um, so, you know, having something produced on shore that's only, uh, you know, a truck journey away is uh, surely a, a big advantage. It's got to help, isn't it? And, and, you know, those raw materials that you can't source from the uh from the uk you know you you send them into uh portishead near bristol and uh, uh and um that's pretty easy too so and you've got uh also you've got uh renewable wind generation around there so yeah it's, it's, it seems like a perfectly good location yeah and yeah and you know viability will only improve i imagine once uh when somebody's doing it somebody else may well want to do it that'd be that would be a wonderful thing to see. It's, it, whether it's the chicken or the egg, it's, it's here and uh, more will follow. And, and that with Invisium um, up in Sunderland, I think we're already over half of, half um, of the way there of the quoted production number. We need to sustain manufacturing at a similar level um, to now uh, in the UK in the all-electric era. Um, you'd, you'd hope more would come, although quite where they're going to be, I don't know. I think the, the British Vault site remains as murky as ever. There's, I think I read the, the Australian uh, company bought it, hasn't hasn't paid up yet. Uh, the West Midlands Gigafactory kind of exists as some very nice artist drawings and, and a kind of reactionary statement to every bit of news around, but, but nothing really tangible beyond that. Um, it's hard to see. It's, it's kind of hard to see who else would locate in the UK, given that uh, BMW uh, for Mini would most likely leverage production elsewhere in Europe. Um, um, I mean, we, we don't know about Toyota's plans. Obviously, that's a, quite a big factory as well. But again, you would kind of think that they would source from a central European location that can sort of feed all their plants. Um, 
rather than locate in the UK. I mean, I might be wrong about that. Um, Stellantis as well. Again, you know, they they, they have they, they have enormous operations in Europe, and so you know, just locating a battery plant just to feed a, a, a single uh, assembly plant, I don't can't see it happening. You know, it comes back to the the. the the wider government strategy, a bit of a theme running through this, but you know, this time around an industrialist strategy, it seems that they're kind of bespoke, almost one-off deals around this this you know, mystery around the figure and what was offered, and there seemed like a lot of assurances and subsidies had to be offered around energy costs, even. So, you know, the cost of energy in this country is quite prohibitive for for manufacturers looking looking to set up, but you know, in the absence of a of a clear plan, like you know, the US government has been you know very clear in in attracting ev investment uh and and manufacturer with with a very targeted uh, package of public um funds that's lacking here so it's all a, a bit case by case and it makes it makes it probably quite hard work for people wanting to come come in here it's, it's, yeah it's a bit murky yeah very murky Just, and you wonder how that you know that 500 million whether that's the it, that that's it. Whether now the checkbook gets locked away again, you know they spent their they spent the, everything they had just to get uh, the JLR plant in. From uh, kind of wonder if we're going to go go back to re relying on the innovators again, like uh, like always happens in this country. Oh man, we're so good at innovating, and we're so bad at industrialising that innovation. You know, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. we we invented the lithium ion battery. <laughs> Where did we leave it? We could do with that. <laughs> I think on that on that note of continued uncertainty, we'll uh, we'll bring this into land. Thank you, uh, thank you very much for taking the time today. There's lots of topics for us to watch out, uh, watch for there. Uh, going into the next episode, I'm sure we'll return to all of those themes again uh, as they keep evolving. So, thank you to Steve, Nick, and Mark for joining us. Thank you to you for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>